Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Chimakar Sandu from Toronto in Canada, and uh, it's been a big week for you, Mr. Sandu. Things are th- things are moving moving along nicely for you. And you're, you're properly putting some roots down, my friend. It's very 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 pleased very very pleased to hear it. Yeah, mate, I'm I'm over the moon. So for two reasons, actually. Number one, me and the missus we're moving into a, a new house. In come January, so that all got locked down and and finalised last week, which was which was just amazing news. And at the same time, this past weekend's UFC card was probably one of my favourite ones of the year. And it wasn't the it wasn't the type of card that had the biggest draws, the biggest star power. It probably didn't get seen by as many uh, people as, say, for example, a Conor McGregor fight or Hawaii Masvidal fight, something like that. But my word, it's the it's the kind of it was a kind of event that when you're watching every single week and you're putting in six, seven, eight hours as a fan, forget about us that work in the business, but just as a fan, and you're watching these fight night cards, and then you put in that shift to watch a card like this and it delivered the way it does, it just makes you feel so so incredibly happy to to be a fight fan because it, it was just that good man yeah i mean sometimes you look back at a fight card and you say well that fight wasn't up to much you know that one was a bit dull even the decision fights were good you know even the fights that went to the scorecards were good fights you know gavin tucker billy quarantillo on the prelims was a good fight it was yeah. a good fight we had oh, but and we had some great finishes on that card you know um so much to talk about but let's just start at the top shall we davison figueredo uh the god of war was all set to uh, set a couple of records on Saturday night. If he could have got uh, the win by finish, he would have surpassed Demetrius Johnson and ended up standing alone at the top of the UFC record books for the most finishes in UFC flyweight history. He already completed a record-breaking turnaround by defending his title twice in the space of 21 days. That, that was already guaranteed as long as he walked away with the belt. Because I think I think the previous record was like fifty six days. He got the job done, just majority draw. Sandy, the, the judges scored it. it was a majority draw. Scorecards read 47-47, 47-47, and forty seven forty seven against Brandon Moreno, who I know Brandon Moreno is good. I've known he's good for a while. I didn't know he was that good. Um, he surpassed my expectations and put on an outstanding, outstanding performance. Um, so it ended up as a draw. I think, obviously, the talk immediately after the fight was, when are we going to see a rematch? For me, it was the fight of the year. But let's let's talk about how we both viewed that fight to start with, Sandu. How did you score that fight? Because it was a real roller coaster. So much went on. We had a point deduction in the middle of the fight, which proved proved crucial in the end. But how did you score it? So I didn't score it, and, and I'll tell you why. It's tough for me at the top end of the cards when I'm on shift for BT Sport to really pay attention to every single second of every single round. I'm clipping, posting, and all the rest of it. It's, it's, it's far easier for me to keep you know, a mental scorecard of fights earlier in the card, you know, prelims, early main cards, stuff like that. But when it comes to main, co-main, title fights there's just far, far too much going on for me to be you know 
you know, I guess right down the middle and give you a, a proper scorecard. I just don't have one. What I will say, though, is based upon all of the action that I saw and based upon who I was watching the fight with, a bunch of my mates, a, a draw was absolutely, I think, the right call from my perspective of watching the action as well as what my friends who are very well-educated, hardcore fight fans were telling me as well. So when it came out that it was a majority draw, I thought, yeah, it makes all the sense in the world. I'm absolutely fine with it. I've got no problem with it. So, you know, and look, it a, a draw still means that Figueredo has technically defended his title. He is still the champion. But it's the, it's one of those fights where everyone comes out a winner. You know, no no one really comes out of the situation taking an L, both on their record, but also with regards to their career moving forward. Because we have a situation now where it's one of the most anticipated rematches of 2021. It's the greatest title fight in flyweight UFC history. It's easily in the top two fights of the year. It's either this or Young Bailey versus Yona Young Jacek. And in addition to Davison, who was obviously the breakthrough star this year in that in that division in terms of becoming the champion, we also now have someone like Brandon Moreno, who is another star in that division and it's just funny how it wasn't too long ago we thought the flyweight division wouldn't survive and here it is really flourishing and we've got two fantastic fighters in their prime and we've got a fantastic rivalry that's just blossomed and brewed out of nowhere yeah it's outstanding brandon moreno was bidding to become the first mexican-born ufc champion kane velasquez obviously of mexican heritage born in california um carried the jewel flags when he, you know, when he fought. But if Brandon Moreno had got it done, he would have been the first Mexican to win a UFC belt. Couldn't quite get it done. It was, it was an incredible fight. It's an absolutely incredible fight. I scored it 47-47. I gave, I gave uh, the middle three rounds of the fight to Davis and Figueredo. I thought Brandon Moreno did an outstanding, sorry, did I? Yeah, um, Brandon Moreno did an outstanding job. Uh, in that fight and was in it all the way through. Um, actually, I'm just trying to, I'm just recalling how I did it. No, Figueredo won round one, Moreno round two, Figueredo round three, Moreno round four, Figueredo round five. And obviously with the point deduction in the third round, which was a round that Figueredo had won in my eyes, that made it a 9-9 round. So that's why it ended up as a 47-47 draw for me. Um, obviously, I wasn't watching it to score it i was watching it to report on it that's how i viewed it at the time interestingly one of the judges looking at the scorecards one of the judges junichiro kamijo or kamijo scored the last round for brandon moreno and uh that was one of the 47 47 cards if and i don't know i don't know too many people who thought that brandon brandon moreno won that last round if that judge had scored that round the same as everybody else seemed to see it brand uh, davison figueredo would have won the fight um via majority decision so that's the margins we're talking about here but what a fight incredible fight my fight of the year maybe recency bias has meant that that's my fight of the year i'm gonna have to go back and watch the the zhang weili yuana fight again because that was that was absolutely outstanding as well but what a way to uh to put a bow on the ufc's last pay-per-view of a mad crazy year 2020 covid hit um everything that the company and the sport have had to deal with over the course of the last year. 
And their final pay-per-view main event was one of the best fights of the year, hands down. Superb performance. And uh, fingers crossed we get to see both of those guys in the cage. Maybe in the summer of, uh, of 2021, that would be great. But this was far from a one-fight card, Sandu. I mean, everywhere you look on this fight card, we had incredible stories, amazing performances, great highlights. So let's just work our way down it, shall we? I mean, the co-main event, Charles Oliveira went in there with a point to prove. Tony Ferguson went in there with a point to prove, looking to bounce back after that long unbeaten run of his was snapped by Justin Gaethje. And uh, Oliveira just bossed him, just completely bossed him for uh, for the full, the full three rounds, 30-26 on all three cards. Um, domination from, from, from Dubronx, unbelievable performance from him. And, uh, he wants the winner of Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Um, some people might think that's a bit of a stretch, but he's definitely a contender now, even if he wasn't before. And I think he probably was, but boy, he's, he's a serious, serious problem at 155. Where does he go next? Who does he have to fight next, Sandu? I think he's in the title picture now. At worst, he's one fight away, right? This was the statement win that Charles Oliveira needed. Tony Ferguson isn't a bum or some scrub, and he's definitely not, and you know, not any gatekeeper for the lightweight division. He was right up there. The loss against Justin Gaethje was a, a title fight, a five round title fight earlier in, in the year. Tony Ferguson, one of the greatest lightweights of all time arguably one of the greatest fighters period to not win the official undisputed UFC championship. So a win over Tony Ferguson, especially in the fashion that Oliveira got it done in is just remarkable to me. It's incredible. One of the performances of the year that end of that first round, when he had that arm bar on Tony Ferguson, I was wincing. I could not believe how Tony Ferguson had the intestinal fortitude to survive those 15 seconds until the end of the round. I'm sure his like arm was done for the rest of the fight. And I, I still can't believe he didn't tap. Insane. Just shows how tough mentally and physically Tony Ferguson is. But yeah, Charles Oliveira, man, he has arrived. If, if you don't, like Danny White says, if you don't know, now you know. Charles Oliveira is an absolute player at 155. And that shark tank is just swimming with absolute killers, you know, maybe he fights someone like a Michael Chandler, um, or maybe he waits until the, the Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier fight happens. I don't know if he fights the winner of that fight, maybe the loser, especially if it's Dustin Poirier, that might make sense. If I'm leaning one way or the other, I would say Oliveira's one more win away from a title fight. I, I, I feel like there's other variables still circulating that division. Conor McGregor, biggest star in the sport. He wins. He's a shoo-in for the title fight. You've got Justin Gaethje. If, if he wins his next fight, he's back in the title picture. We still don't know the situation with Khabib. So there's a couple of guys who are just a smudge ahead of Oliveira for the, for the time being. But as far as his performance and what he did this weekend, you couldn't have asked for more. The only thing I'd say is if he can just learn just a, a little bit of English, even if it's broken English, you think someone like Paolo Costa's learned a bit of English, could be did it famously over his career. It goes a long way to really hammer home the message 
when the spotlight is on you. And believe me, the spotlight was on him coming out this weekend and the spotlight will be on him moving forwards. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is a guy who I think he's got the record for finishes in the UFC. He's got the record for finishes at lightweight. Um, that's for sure. And um, that was really the only thing missing from the performance. If he'd have got a finish against Tony Ferguson, um, then that just would have been, you know, the cherry on top of the icing on top of a very, very nice cake. Indeed, it would have been, it would have been absolutely perfect for him. But to dominate Tony Ferguson the way he did and never really be in any trouble at any point in that fight. I mean, to go 15 minutes with Tony Ferguson and not really get yourself in trouble, I can't think of too many fights. I mean, even Justin Gaethje got dropped um, when he fought Tony Ferguson and beat him in the summer. So Oliveira really came out pretty much unscathed after the full 15-minute duration. Can't say enough good things about that performance. Amazing, amazing stuff. And I agree with you. I don't quite know how he's going to slot in there. Um, the UFC don't seem to have quite got to a point where Michael Chandler has a fight yet. Uh, I think there's a little bit of uh, back and forth happening with a couple of fighters behind the scenes before they lock it in. Maybe Oliveira can slip in there. If there's some tough negotiating going on behind the scenes, maybe Oliveira is now the ace up the sleeve that the UFC need to get Chandler his first fight. Because, uh, you know, if he comes through comes through Christmas, has a bit of time off, gets over to Fight Island, maybe he can slot in there. If he beats Michael Chandler first time out, boom, he's got to be in there for a belt next. But... um that armbar, Sandy, my God. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I was, I was like, I was literally, I was, I was sat in this chair watching it and I was like, like this. I was like, it's funny because I'm actually, I am actually quite squeamish, which is so obviously covering this sport is like absolutely ridiculous. Um, but <laughs> for, some reason, for some reason, I can compartmentalize it, you know, all the blood, all of that. I mean, when that, that fight, the guy that he was hanging off, I had no problem with any of this. It was weird. But I can't watch Casualty on TV or anything like that. You know, it doesn't work. But that armbar was, I was i was shaking my arms out from like 5,000 miles away or however far, however far away I am from, from Las Vegas. It was whoa, shivers down the spine. It was one of them. But um, incredible, incredible. And uh, intestinal fortitude, yeah. Tony Ferguson's got some good bones. He's got some strong ligaments because I don't know how his elbow just didn't completely hyperx, completely give way. Amazing. And he went on and carried on fighting through. So all credit to him. Um, quick one. What does Ferguson do next, Sandu? I mean, he had that huge long win streak. Yeah. He was, he's been there on thereabouts. He's been within an ace of becoming an undisputed UFC champion. Uh, obviously he had the interim belt that, you know, the big fight could be well-documented, never quite happened. And he's had two fights that he's lost back-to-back -to, -back to fellow contenders. So from being the clear number one contender in the division for what felt like a couple of years, all of a sudden, he's just beginning to fall down the order a little bit. And um, I don't know. I don't know whether it was, you know, the, uh, the new haircut or what it was, but he looked a little bit of an aging fighter at points in that fight. I don't know whether the, it, it was a previous fight took something out of him or whether it was just my incorrect assessment of it. He didn't look like the same Tony Ferguson to me. Now, am I doing him a disservice or was it just because Charles Oliveira was that good or are we gradually beginning to see a decline in Tony Ferguson? What do you think? In situations like this, unless it's perhaps a pattern that we're seeing over a, a few fights, I would always be in favor of 
giving props to the fighter that won the fight. And so in this case, it's Charles Oliveira. I mean, even, you know, Gaethje beating Ferguson, that wasn't one-sided. You know, Ferguson had his moments. You know, he definitely had an, an opportunity there. Um, and, you know, like I said, he had his moments in the fight. In this particular case, he didn't really have any moments. Like, I think he he sliced Oliveira's head from from bottom position with an upward elbow. That was the only one, only moment where I thought, okay, that's that's a classic El Kakui. Aside from that, it was one-way traffic from Charles Oliveira. It's not been a great year for Tony Ferguson. You know, two fights, two losses. The first, the first time he's tasted defeat and and back-to-back defeat in in his career in this fashion, especially in the UFC, it's definitely taken a lot of momentum and the wind out of his sails, especially at the top end of that division. I think there's two things Tony Ferguson can and should do. Number one, I think if you're the UFC matchmakers, you really have to forget about matching him up with anybody in the top five at the moment. I think you think about the top 10. Think about the Alia Quintas, the Diego Ferreras, the, the Paul Felders, you know, Kevin Lee. You know, those are the kind of fight, you know, you know, level of fighters I think Tony Ferguson should be fighting next. That's that's one option. Just to kind of get a, a barometer. Let's just find out where he's at. It, it, you know, if he if he's losing to a top ten guy, then well, maybe we have to shift him down to top fifteen guy. If he wins, he's still in the mix. So that's option number one. Option number two is if I'm Tony Ferguson, I'm staying in shape, I'm staying very close to weight, and I'm on standby. And if any, there's, there's a lot of big lightweight fights that are coming up around the corner. Obviously, Connor and Dustin is, is one of them. And we're going to find out pretty soon what the fate of Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler is. But it, it appears as though that you know seems to be the fight that's going to be made sooner rather than later. Be on standby. Try and even maybe get on the same card as those, as those fights as well, if possible. And if something happens, get on the blower to Dana White and jump in. Because at least in that in that situation, that's that's a, a backdoor, you know, route to still fighting someone in the top five. Those are the only two situations that I can foresee that would help Tony Ferguson in 2021. I mean, yeah. the other thing is is moving up, you know, up in weight class, but I think he'll be oversized at welterweight. Lightweight is perfect for him. Lightweight is where his resume is, where his history is, and and frankly, it's where. The biggest fights are always going to be for him. It, it it blows my mind. Can you imagine if by the end of Tony Ferguson's career, he hasn't fought during his era, the two biggest stars in the sport, Conor McGregor and Khabib. It would just be so criminal. And at the moment, his trajectory is heading towards not getting those fights and getting those opportunities. So he's got to put in a lot of work or be very lucky and step in on short notice into a situation where he potentially can fight Conor McGregor. Khabib, we know, even if he comes back, he's coming back for one more and that's it, right? So that's probably, you know, the greatest fight that never happened, never will happen. Let's just forget about it. It's done and dusted. Conor McGregor is still there. So much history between them in terms of the management um, and all that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, Tony's got some work to do. Oh, he certainly has. He certainly has. I like the idea of a Paul Felder fight. I'm saying... I think Paul Felder versus Tony Ferguson would be a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, Ferguson is now in in a rebuilding phase, I think, as we head into 2021. Um, We had Mackenzie Dern versus Werner Jandaroba Sandu, a couple of uh, Brazilian grapplers 
So obviously they spent most of their time kickboxing through uh, through their three round fight. Mackenzie Dern, her striking previously looked pretty bad. Let's be honest, it, uh, didn't look good at all. She's since been working with Jason Perillo, and her striking looked much improved. And I think that was the deciding factor in her win over over Janderoba. Um, were you keeping a close eye on that one, Sandy? Were you on socials for that one? Here's a here's a funny thing. I wasn't. I wasn't because this fight. <coughs> followed the Kevin Holland performance against Jacare Souza, which we're going to get to in a second, right? And there was so much fantastic content coming out of not only the fight, but his post-fight interview that it, it kind of blew up the internet for a, for a while. So as I was kind of wrapping things up on that fight, I was trying to keep one eye on the, on the Mackenzie Dern fight. From what I saw, and I did see a fair amount of it, I'll give Mackenzie Dern credit for two things. Number one, you've already touched on it. Her striking much improved number two this was a bit of a dog fight man and for her to take the strikes that she did i thought you know what she's showing a lot of toughness and a lot of grit to come through the other side so i think when she reflects back on this fight yes it wasn't domination yes it wasn't a clear-cut victory it was 29 28 across the board but i think this was a good test as she kind of continues her way up. And now she's got a, on, a, on a nice run here. So she's got a lot of momentum in terms of results. So she's evolving. She's getting better and better all the time. Jason Perillo is really making sure her striking is continuing uh, continuing to improve. So, man, I'm telling you, man, Mackenzie, Mackenzie Dan is still young in the game. And, you know, in terms of her MMA career, I think we don't know what her ultimate ceiling is at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I guess the message for the other straw weights is if you want to fight Mackenzie Dern, do it now because she's only going to get better. You know, she, we've already seen a massive, massive step change in, 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 uh, in how she looks as an all round MMA fighter from her previous fights to what we saw on Saturday night and kudos to Jason Prillo for that nice little story, side story involving Jason Prillo during that fight, Mackenzie Dern, uh, pretty much looked like she broke her nose in that fight. She had a nasty, she had a cut on her nose as well. Um, but she she looked like she got cracked on the on the hooter pretty bad. And uh, at the end of the second round, she went back to her corner. She was obviously worrying about it. And she said to she said to Perillo, "Did I break my nose? I think I broke my nose because she's never broken it before. She had no idea what it felt like to have a broken nose." And Perillo, without even without even thinking about it, went, "No, no, you're fine. You're fine. It's just a cut. Get back out there. You're all good." And uh, talking to the press afterwards, uh, Dern was sort of joking with the press, saying. Um, as soon as coach, as, as soon as coach told me, nah, it's not broken. I thought, yeah, I know you, coach. It's probably broken. So that was kind of, kind of a funny little sideline there. And um, it was, uh, it was a good performance from her, and one that I think, one that I think is gonna, is gonna start really. It's, it's gonna really push her up there now. She's gonna have to start taking on a contender or two now. Um, the problem for her is who's gonna put their hand up to fight it because she's getting better with every fight. But uh, a big win for Mackenzie Dern. Now, you, you touched upon it just a second ago, Sandu, and this is one we're going to have to spend a little bit of time on because this, for me, was one of the most remarkable performances, not just of that fight night, possibly of the entire year, if you put it in the context of the year that Kevin Holland has had. Five fights in 2020. Five wins in 2020. Four of those wins have come inside the distance the most recent of them, Saturday night, Ronaldo Jacare Souza, former Strikeforce middleweight champion, 
Kevin Holland puts him away with strikes in the first round. Now, if that's all you knew about the fight, you'd be like, wow, that's amazing. Kevin Holland finished Jacare Souza with strikes in the first round. But that's only half the story. The way he did it was, I can't remember too many other times that I've seen that. Um, off his back, knocking out a man off his back. And it wasn't with up kicks, it was with his punches, which is it's not quite unheard of, but it's pretty close. I think Nico Price did it as well um, a little while back. But to do that, um, and it was a short notice fight. He was supposed to face Jack Manson uh, the previous weekend. COVID, a positive COVID test meant that he had to duck out of that one. They rebooked him really quick. Marvin Vittori was supposed to face Jack Array uh, on Saturday. They basically swapped them round. They swapped opponents. Marvin Vittori got his big win, and Kevin Holland has turned up and got a huge win against Jack Array Sosa. I mean, I can't say enough good things about Kevin Holland. I love the guy's personality. I love the way he fights, and he went in there and just delivered big time. I mean, take it from there, Sandu. I mean, what on earth did you make of that? His incredible stuff. Kevin Holland gets it, Simon. He just gets it. And we've talked about this. Is a, this is a reoccurring theme. It, it's never going to go away when amazing fighters don't take the opportunity to really express themselves. You know, it doesn't matter if you're like softly spoken or not. You have an opportunity. The cameras are on you. The spotlight's on you. There's a mic in front of you. It's an opportunity to make sure that people remember you as well as your performances. Nobody does that to Jacare Souza. It's it was insane. Not just knocking him out from bottom position, but then just posturing up and landing a few more blows was just brutal. Absolute savage stuff from Kevin. And he does it does it in the first round without you know hardly breaking a sweat. He then goes on to potentially say, hey, I'll fight again next weekend. Hamzat Shemaev, where you at? So he puts on a performance like that. Like you said, Simon, his fifth win of the year. He calls out Hamzat Shemaev. He's he's cutting promos all over the shop. The UFC have got some something with Kevin Holland. He is if he's if he's not a star in the making, he's he's right there. He's on his way because he ticks every single box. He's a great interview. I thought his post-fight press conference was fantastic. He's always got something to say. He seems very genuine about everything that comes out of his mouth. Nothing seems scripted or pre-planned or anything. And it was just a couple of weeks ago that he had a, a little confrontation with Israel Adesanya. So he's planted all, all these little seeds everywhere. He's on a great run. He's a former alum on the Contender Series, which obviously Dana White loves everybody coming off of a show based around his concept and his name. So, man, it's it's not, you know, going to be too long before maybe he's fighting for a title within the next 12 months. It, I, I would not be surprised if Kevin Holland at some point in 2021 is fighting for a UFC championship because right now everything indicates to me that he's getting better and better with his with his ability and his performances but also the gift of the gab is putting him in a situation where he's going to skip ahead of the line versus a lot of other fighters in the division the funny thing is you mentioned he's on a contender series he was on a contender series he didn't get a contract yeah he 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 fought and he won, and Dana White didn't like the fact that he was a bit too chatty during the fight. But then uh, they needed a short-notice opponent for Thiago Santos at light heavyweight. I think it was a light heavyweight. And um, 
they said to Kevin Holland, do you want to come in and fight this guy? And he's like, yeah, I'll do that. And he did a good job. Okay, he didn't win, but he did a good job. And all of a sudden, boom, he's in the UFC. So he took his chance, but he stayed true to himself all the way through. It's not like he suddenly shut up and become a company man. He still talks to people during fights. He still has fun with the media. He's still a personality. But as you say, he's a legit personality. He's not trying to be something he isn't. He's not, he, he, you know, he's not doing a Colby. He's being Kevin Holland, and I love it. And um, I know you've said on the show in the past, Hamzat Shemaev nailed on breakout star of the year. You could argue Kevin Holland, if he's not the fighter of the year, he's my fighter of the year. But even if you didn't give him fighter of the year, you could even call him the breakout fighter of the year because where was he at the start of 2020? You know, he was a, he was a, he was just a, he was just a prospect at 185 pounds. Earned, he sort of he got his shot in the UFC, fun fighter to watch, but that was pretty much it at that point. Five fights later, five wins later, four finishes later, and finishing by taking out a former champion and one of the most respected guys in the division. After willingly going to the ground with him, by the way, he went to the ground with Jacare Souza. Which, if you said that before the fight, you'd be like, you must be nuts if you're going to do that. But Travis Luter. Uh, you know, superb jiu-jitsu black belt coaches Kevin Holland. He's, he's, he's Kevin Holland's uh, jiu-jitsu coach. Obviously, they were very comfortable on the ground. He went to the ground with Jacare Souza. Did all right. Ended up knocking him out. Amazing. But yeah, it, whether he's your breakout fighter of the year, fighter of the year, whatever you want to call him, Kevin Holland for me is a legit star and one of these stars of 2020. And I cannot wait to see what happens next. I mean, when they book the next middleweight title fight, whenever that is, because we don't know, right? Because Israel Adesanya looks like he's going for the light heavyweight belt first. But the next time they go for that uh, 185-pound title and, you know, they, they, they put that on the card, they need to book Kevin Holland on the same fight card because you just give him the nod and say, make sure you hit 185 on the nose, Kevin. If anything goes wrong, you're in. Um, he's the sort of guy who will make sure that he's on weight. He'll make sure that he he's professional and then if he gets his shot you know he's going to go in there and give it absolutely everything and even if he loses he's going to make it a lot of fun to watch so for me kevin holland is the fighter of the year um davison figueredo obviously has had an incredible year and i'm sure that there is a very very strong argument for him as well but for me it's kevin holland i mean what do you think we have a couple of weeks right until we're probably going to end up doing our end of year show um but for me, it's still going to be Davis and Figueredo. Strength of schedule, four title fights. He won all of them. You know, even if, you know, sorry, he won three of out of the four. The fourth being obviously a majority draw, but he still technically didn't lose. He defended his title. Even when it comes to fight of the year, you know, when I put out a poll um, over the weekend um, with regards to, you know, is it Figueredo versus Moreno or Zhang Li versus Joanna? So many people in the comment section. Hey, you know, what about um, Dustin Poirier versus Dan Hooker? Right? And I'm like, yeah, great fight. But for me, the stakes are higher in a title fight. You're, you're headlining pay-per-view. It's a UFC championship. And that, for me, factors into the equation when I'm talking about and I'm thinking about what is the fight of the year. So in any case, we'll get to it in a couple of weeks' time. But... To give you an early preview, heading into this weekend, 
I had Hamza Shamayev locked down as the breakthrough fighter of the year. And I had Davison Figueredo locked down as the fighter of the year. Figueredo, for me at the moment, stays fighter of the year. I don't think that's going to be changing. But for the breakthrough, I have now changed my mind. It is Kevin Holland for me. I think if Hamza Shamayev had the fight with Leon Edwards still in place this upcoming weekend, I would have held, held judgment for a little bit on that to see what that fight would have looked like. Because a Hamza Shamaya performance, a finish over a Leon Edwards, and then, yeah, that would have taken him, you know, across the finish line. But when you look at the overall, you know, comparison of both Holland and Hamza Shamaev, the strength of schedule, the number of fights they've had, the results and the fashion of the wins, it's Kevin Holland for me. And also just, you know, the promo work, you know, setting up fights, the, the confrontation with Israel Adesanya, He's the kind of guy that really gets you excited about the fight game and what's possible. And this is what we all live for, right? We want the biggest fights possible that gets, you know, your your, your mouth frothing at the prospect of a rivalry brewing. Kevin Holland, man. Adesanya, Hamza Shemaev. He even had a few things to say to fellow Brit Darren Stewart. And so, you know, this guy, like I said, he's cutting promos all over the shop. Breakthrough fighter of the year for me, Kevin Holland. Yeah, you mentioned Darren Stewart, and I'm so glad you did because he's the one guy who can argue, actually, I beat that guy. Um, that fight went to, I think it was a split decision, and um, after that fight, Kevin Holland walked straight out of the cage. In fact, he spoke to Darren Stewart first, told him his views about the result, walked straight out of the cage, walked straight up to Dana White and said, I didn't win that fight. That, to me, just... My, my my opinion of him just went even higher because he he's honest, you know? He's not trying to pull the wall over anybody's eyes. What you see with Kevin Holland is just effortless. You know, when he's in front of the camera and he's speaking, there's no effort going in. It's just him riffing and being himself. And that's how he fights as well. He's not rigid fighting to a very specific game plan. He just goes out there and lets it all hang out. And I love it. One of my favorite fighters to watch in the UFC and he had an incredible year. All credit to Kevin Holland. And um, very, very quickly before we move on to the Cyril Gann, Junior Dos Santos fight. Well, this topic kind of covers both really. Um, what next for Ronaldo Jacare Souza, Sandu? And I guess we can overlap this a little bit and say the same for, for Junior Dos Santos. Both guys suffering damaging stoppage losses. Uh, both guys on big, hefty UFC contracts. Both guys have been around a long time. The UFC, as we know, they're looking to trim their roster by about 60 fighters. Are these two guys on the chopping block right now, do you think? I would think so, Simon. One of the major factors about who you keep in your roster, and we've spoken about this a few times already, is where are you headed? Are you selling tickets in Brazil anytime soon? Are you going to be going to any venues in Brazil in 2021? It doesn't look like it. And they've got, you know... Amanda Nunes, Davison Figueiredo, and now Charles Oliveira. They've got a new generation of Brazilian fighters who are at the peak of their powers and in their prime. Guys like Junior Dos Santos, Shogun Hua, Jacare Souza. Given what Dana White said, that there's a, essentially a massive call coming. And in between this upcoming weekend and the Max Holloway fight night card in January, there's about a four-week period where there's no UFC events taking place. Expect to see more news trickle out um, with regards to people getting cut and fighters getting cut. I don't think we're going to see JDS and Jacare Souza fight for the UFC again, in my humble opinion. 
Um, it's unfortunate, but that's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes, man. Like you have a short window of opportunity in the UFC and wins and losses matter. That I'm not saying that they're not going to have options and opportunities elsewhere, but their stock is super low right now. And the UFC are most likely going to let them go, but I don't think there's going to be suitors who are going to be willing to pay the amount of money they think they're worth or they're currently on in the UFC. So if I'm a Bellator, a PF, you know, if I'm PFL, I'm getting Junior DeSantos because I think, you, A, you'll probably get him at a cut price deal, number one. You've already got Fabrizio Vadum, right, in your PFL heavyweight division, a roster for the season. You put in JDS in there, heavy, you know, it, you could kind of market it as a kind of um, a reset on Junior De Santos. Let's see where he's at. Can he hang in the PFL? But you've got two former UFC heavyweight champions there in your in your PFL roster, and still flying on ESPN. Still names that people are familiar with. If I'm PFL, out of the two, Jacare and and JDS, I'm going for JDS. And also JDS speaks fantastic English, so you, he's a good interview. You can get more out of him from a marketability standpoint. But yeah. I don't see them fighting in the UFC in 2021. Yeah, you 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 beat me to it with the PFL Junior Dos Santos thing because I was thinking I've been thinking the same thing ever since fight night. I mean, he is absolutely tailor made for the PFL. Get him on a slightly reduced deal, they could do that. And the lure is, who on that list do you think is going to beat you, Junior? Because if you beat all these guys, there's a million bucks waiting for you and a championship belt. You want to be a champion again? Fancy earning a million bucks? You know who you're going to have to fight. Come over. Come join us. Let's see it happen. I'd love to see that happen. And as, yeah, I, I'm I'm excited for the PFL in 2021. I think it could be a lot of fun with some of the stuff they're looking to do. Um, and it the, just in general, the way the talent is gradually spreading out. It used to be, well, it wasn't that long ago that the UFC basically locked up pretty much everybody, you know? Um, but now what we're seeing is, because they're trimming the roster and because the other promotions are beginning to snap some of these guys up, seeing it with Anthony Rumble Johnson, Yoel Romero, you know, going to Bellator and uh, Rory McDonald going to PFL and things like this. So I think having a slight, a slight spreading out of talent is going to, is going to make our MMA watching year in 2021, a lot more fun. We're going to see a lot more high quality fights across the, across the major promotions it's going to be a whole lot of fun in 2021 um but before before we wrap up uh on uh, ufc 256 quickly we run through the prelims i'll run from bottom bottom to the top chase hooper um incredible stuff looked like he was well on his way to getting beat um and then hail mary hill hook midway through the last round gets it done tisha torres looked outstanding against a debutante who looked a little bit out of her depth unfortunately but Tisha looked really good. Gavin Tucker beat Billy Quarantillo. We mentioned that at the start of the, the start of the uh, the recap. But let's just quickly talk about the two the two fights that top that preliminary portion of the card. Sandu, uh, Rafael Fiziev beating Hanato Moicano, first round knockout. Um, if there is a cleaner striker or a more proficient striker at 155 pounds in terms of the fundamentals of striking. I don't think there are too many you can live with Rafael uh, Fiziev in terms of just pure striking fundamentals. He is outstanding. And 
he's beginning to make some serious noise at 55. What did you make of his performance? Fantastic. Another great fighter to be excited about moving forward in the UFC. You know, we talked about this a little bit already in this show about the turnover, the age, um, who's going to get cut. You know, I think the UFC are pretty comfortable letting go of some of the more, you know, established names who are probably, you know, costing them a bit more on the wages side of things. But then when you've got talent like Rafael Fiziev, who are just, you know, putting on the kind of performances he's putting on. And like we said, lightweight is a shark tank, man. And Fiziev is someone that, you know, he's such a clean striker. He, he's already been fun to watch in his short run as a, as a mixed martial artist. This is, this is only his, his 10th fight, right? So he's now finally entering double figures. Didn't get off to the best stop in the UFC. Yeah, took an L against Magomed Mustaye. But after that, Alex White, Mark Diacasey, Britt, and now Hinato Moicano. He's off and running in the UFC, and I'm excited to see what he does in 2021. Yeah, I think he's the head Muay Thai coach at Tiger Muay Thai. So you don't get to be in that sort of position at a gym like that unless you are a serious technician when it comes to the striking arts. And we're beginning to see that in MMA. Sometimes you see these great strikers from one particular discipline and they find it hard to, to transition it to MMA because the ranges are different. Like Muay Thai is a right sort of fight in a phone box kind of fighting style. Boxing is a certain, is, is, is relatively quite close quarters. Kickboxing a little bit further out. MMA is further out than that. So controlling the range and being able to deploy your skills um, at the, at the correct range while obviously dealing with the issues of takedowns and submissions and the rest of it. Rafael Fiziev looks amazing and uh, I'm excited for what he might be able to do at 155. I'd be really interested to see who they match him up with in 2021. I would be amazed if he's not on one of those early fight Island cards uh, in, in the new year, but to finish up the UFC 256 recap Cub Swanson Sandu. Now I remember when I, when I first started covering the sport, I think Cub Swanson was just moving across. I think the WEC had just been uh, absorbed by the UFC or it was shortly after maybe. And Swanson was this, I think the first time I heard of Cub Swanson, he got knocked out almost instantly by a flying knee from Jose Aldo in um, the WEC. And then he came into the UFC and then we saw the real Cub Swanson. And over the course of the last, well, I, over the course of probably the, a few years, you know, when BT first got the UFC, mm -hmm. um, I was working at BT at the time. And I remember they did, they did a sit down with Cub Swanson and um, he's just a fascinating guy to listen to. And, you know, his story and his journey and his whole ethos with regards to, you know, his, his career and how he fights and why he fights. He's, he's a remarkable character. Who's, who's uh, come from sort of a difficult background and become an absolute, veteran of the sport and one of the most respected and beloved guys in the sport in terms of like within the sport itself. Um, but at this point in his career, I think there were a few question marks over him and how much longer can he keep competing? And he was up against Daniel Pineda who, uh, but for a failed drug test would have been a PFL champion, I think. Um, and, uh, he ended up coming into the UFC and, uh, they've given him Cub Swanson on, I think it was like his second fight in UFC or, on his return to the UFC because Pineda has been in the UFC from years back, but it looked like Pineda was the guy with, with the momentum coming into this and Swanson put on an absolute show. I thought it was an amazing performance, got the knockout second round and uh, 
you know, they say nice guys finish last, but Cub Swanson is the example that sometimes nice guys can actually finish first. And uh, he, he did he did a great job and uh, couldn't be happier for him. Great performance. Yeah, just over a year ago, he was coming off of the back of four straight losses and it wasn't looking good in terms of his you know ufc future the ufc matched him up against cron gracie last october he got the win there by decision but then he suffered an acl or a knee injury in uh, i can't remember the name of the competition but it was one of those grappling jujitsu competitions that the ufc from time to time allow their fighters to participate quintet. in. quintet there you go i was there and i was there i watched it happen yeah oh Jesus Christ. So, yeah, look, you know, he finally, you know, gets back in the win column and then all of a sudden he has to go through, you know, a really horrific knee injury, comes back and he's ending the year 2020 with a knockout victory in the second round against Daniel Pineda. And, you know, he he said it in his post-fight interview, you know, he's had some doubts personally about where he's at with his career. Can he still hang, um, you know, in the UFC and also, you just heard the boss say, hey, we're looking to cut 60 more fighters. So if you're a veteran with a, uh, you know, with a lot of losses on your record in the last couple of years, you've got to be thinking, man, I might be on the chopping block here, right? And so for him to get that win, you know, there's a nice emotional uh, post-fight interview with Joe Rogan where he's kind of talking about his kids and being their superhero, really kind of you know, tugged at the heartstrings there. How could you not be completely overwhelmed with joy for a guy like Cub Swanson who you know has been the post one of the poster boys for the, the lighter weight classes over the last decade and he's still around he's 37 years old he's getting up there in age and who knows how much more he's got left in him but for the for right now he gets to go home to his family enjoy this dub ends 2020 on a, on a high note and hopefully he can get back in there sooner rather than later in 2021 and really to start to test himself with, to, and find out if he actually can hang with the best of them or, you know, see where his level is at. But for right now, couldn't be happier for Killer Cub. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, other than everything that we've already said, I mean, it says a lot about a fighter when, when they're trying to develop themselves in a new market. They'll send people from their roster who are going to portray the sport and the UFC in the best possible light. And when the UFC... We're looking to really grow in the UK, especially when they did the deal with BT Sport. Cub was one of the guys that they sent. And, um, you know, t- absolute class, Ab- class individual, a proper martial artist. He's a guy who's been around the sport for so long and combat sport for so long. And uh, it's good to see him picking up a win at a time in his career where maybe his position was looking a little bit precarious. Um, but great fight card. Great fight card. If you're going to end the year on a high with your last pay-per-view, that that had a little bit of something for everybody. And um, if that's the benchmark, then 2021 has got a bit of uh, a bit of work to do to uh, to match up to that sort of quality. Uh, but that wasn't the only MMA that we had this past weekend. Uh, we had uh, we had three fight nights on consecutive nights. I was working all three. Um, on uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Cage Warriors, the trilogy strikes back, they called it. Um, they did a trilogy earlier in in the uh, in the year in Manchester, uh, and that went so well. They've repeated the trick. This time it was at the York Hall, Bethnal Green, um, famous old boxing venue. 
um, and uh, the the home of the first ever Cage Warriors event. Actually, that's where they held their first ever event. So it's like Cage Warriors went home, and uh, they did three shows and served up some absolutely brilliant fights. If you've got UFC Fight Pass and you've got some time to kill, get on Fight Pass and check out some of these shows. They're not massively deep, like long cards. They're like seven, seven or eight fight cards. Um, night one, Jake Hadley, undefeated uh, British flyweight, went in there against the uh, flyweight champion, Luke Shanks, and absolutely went to town on him for five rounds. Just dominated him. Now, Shanks won the belt at the previous trilogy by being incredibly dominant on the scorecards. One of the widest ever title fight scorecards in Cage Warriors history. Well, Hadley just re-upped him. He beat 50-45, 50-44, and there's a 50-42 scorecard, Sandu. 50-42. So that's the sort of dominance that we saw from Jake Hadley. If he has to defend his belt before he gets called up by the UFC, he'll probably have to face Sam Creasy, who's been there or thereabouts for a title for ages in Cage Warriors without ever quite getting his hands on the gold. He uh, stopped Adam Amsinger in the co-main event. So he's next in line. So we're likely to see Hadley and Creasy in 2021. And uh, Michele Martignoni took on Wesley Meyer. I was really high on Wesley Meyer going into this. Bantamweight, trains out of Brad Pickett's uh, Great Britain top team. And uh, I thought he, if he got a good win, he was probably going to be in for a title shot next. Martignoni beat him on the scorecards. Um, came back after a difficult first round, got the job done. He's one to watch. That was the first night. Amazing night, first night. Second night gave us one of the knockouts of 2020. Absolutely insane knockout from the middleweight champion, Matthias Frederick. Trains out of Renegade, uh, Team Renegade, with the Edwards brothers, Tom Breeze, Jai Herbert, and um, knocked out Jamie Richardson. I called it the left hook from hell on the, on MMA Junkie. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of this fight, Sandu, but he, he couldn't stack like... Matthias Frederick couldn't stand up properly in the fight. It was the most bizarre thing. He's the only fighter on the entire card who couldn't keep his foot in. He was, it looked like he was fighting on ice. It was really weird. He couldn't keep his foot in. He was really annoyed after the first, the first, uh, the first two rounds came out round three wallop, massive left hook game over. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. Um, night three, two titles on night three, uh, the lightweight belt was on the line. That was a vacant title. Holland's Aggie Sadari um, beat Jack Grant. He's fought for the belt twice now in the space of about a year and a half. Unfortunately, he's missed out on both occasions, so he must be absolutely gutted right now. That was via split decision as well. It doesn't get more agonizing than that. And a guy who I think we should all be watching out for, Morgan Charrier, um, French star of the future or star of the present now beat Perry Goodwin ridiculous body shot he's a star in France now he'll be in the UFC next year mark my words um but yeah three great nights Sandu I don't know if you caught any of the any of the social clips or anything or whether you got to watch any of it but that was a lot of I couldn't think of a better way to spend uh three nights uh working late last week it was a lot of fun yeah, like I said at the top of the show, it's been a busy week for me personally in terms of locking down this house. But that being said, the social clip that I did see, the Morgan Sherrier um, performance, just went viral, man. And like honestly, the way I look at social media, UFC Fight Pass clips 
don't tend to go that viral. They, this was getting thousands and thousands of retweets and thousands and thousands of quote retweets, specifically from fans in France. So this lad must have a very passionate and loyal fan base. And it just goes to show what the potential can be or could be in that market when you have a star, uh, especially especially someone that's young and you know coming up in the game. Obviously, we know history tells us that typically, if you do well in Cage Warriors, it's the conveyor belt and the path to the UFC. There's a, a, a solid relationship between the two promotions. So, and again, with COVID over maybe in the next year, I can't see the UFC traveling outside of the US and Abu Dhabi in the next 12 months. But beyond that, I'm sure France is going to be a market that they're chopping at the bit to get into. Uh, and do a proper arena show. They've already got, you know, a roster full of French fighters or French-speaking fighters. So, you know, I think over the course of the next year, you know, maybe this is the kind of guy that does, does enter the UFC. The, you know, the UFC in general, they're getting rid of some of the, the older veterans of the game on, who are obviously, you know, costing them a lot in terms of, you know, wages. But then you're seeing so many fighters, young fighters get signed up through the contender series and through, you know, there's not too many regional shows that are active at the moment, but cage warriors is one promotion that the UFC tend to kind of snap up their champions sooner rather than later. So yeah, that was the one that caught my eye, Simon. That's the clip that went viral beyond belief from any of the cage warriors performances. And um, so yeah, when stuff like that happens, that definitely catches my eye. Yeah, definitely. And like, if you're looking at the, which, which promotions the UFC are really looking at to get their talent from, it's Cage Warriors on our on our side of the on, on my side of the pond, and over in North America, it's Cage Fury fighting championships on the East Coast and LFA, who have sent an insane number of fighters to the UFC over the last year, whether it be directly or via the Contender Series. They have had a, a remarkable year for producing talent that has gone all the way to the top um, with the UFC. So um, I think we're going to see more of that next year. So um, yeah, some big stuff, and uh, they've announced Cage Warriors are going to do another trilogy. Um, in the new year. I think they're doing March in London again. Uh, and uh, I think there's going to be some fans there. don't know how many. Uh, it doesn't hold many. It's only a small venue, but we might see a few fans in the building as well. That's what I'm hearing. So fingers crossed that all that all stays together and we get to see uh, some MMA in front of some, some live crowds as we move through 2021. Uh, it's been a mad week. It has been a mad week. We've had so much go on. And we're rounding out the year with a pretty stacked-looking fight card, UFC final. Yeah, we lost the main event. We lost the main event, which was obviously gutting, uh, particularly uh, for, for for poor Leon Edwards, who, if it weren't for bad luck, he'd have no luck at all right now. Um, he was going to face Hamzat Chimaev. Um, I arguably should have been fighting for the title at some point over the last year. Instead, he's got unranked, dangerous Hamzat Chimaev and then gets COVID. It's it's just, I you know I can't I can't sympathise enough for the poor guy. That fight was off the card, but this is a fight night card that can really absorb that blow and 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 just keep ploughing forward. This is an insane fight card, Sandu. Like that main card, six fight main card, has got every single one of those fights is a banger. Absolutely every single one of them. Where do you want to start? Let's start at the top, Simon. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson versus Jeff Neal. What a what a great fight that is. I mean, yeah. Again, Leon Edwards and Hamza Shmaev, man, it's it's it, it is absolutely brutal. We're not getting that. 
But like you said, I think this almost this this card reminds me of the final card from the UFC's first run in On Fight Island, where they kind of just threw everyone they could, you know, at it. You got, I mean, look at it: Anthony Pettis, Alex Morono, Jose Aldo, Marlon Vera. Are you kidding me, man? Marlon Moraes, Rob Font. I mean, the list just goes on and on. This is an in incredibly insanely stacked card. Fingers crossed, COVID doesn't impact things. We had a good one this past weekend, actually. No COVID issues, no last-minute cancellations or, or anything like that. And you know, we, we've seen some some fighters really, you know, profit from the schedule and being available. Hamza Shemaev, obviously, Kevin Holland, you know, got his fifth win. Some fighters just haven't been able to get a sniff this year. Poor, poor Leon Edwards. I mean, you got to feel for the guy, right? Couldn't fight Tyron Woodley because that's when COVID first broke out in London. Finally, you know, through hook or crook or th through some backstage politics, ends up having to fight or have scheduled to fight Hamzat Shemaev on the final fight night card of the year. And we talked about how had he, you know, won, he would have been my comeback fighter of the year, just given what he's had to go through this year, right? And now that's gone. And, you know, in his place, though, yeah, I mean... If this is as close, you know, outside of a title fight, this is a pay-per-view worthy fight card. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think the only thing it's missing is a title fight at the top of the card. You know, I mean, yeah. if you if you put a title fight on the top of this card, you go, wow, that's a pay-per-view I'm going to buy. Because yeah. every fight, I mean, Thompson versus Neil is a great fight. I mean, this is this is the big fight Jeff Neil needs. You know, he's he needs a name. Wonderboy Thompson has been there or thereabouts for years. Wonderboy needs to really win this one impressively to avoid becoming the gatekeeper of the division, which arguably he is in this fight. If he, if he, if he dust Jeff Neal, um, then uh, obviously he can, he can start making a bit of noise himself um, and try and get himself out there. Aldo versus Vera. I think it's going to be an absolute banger. Um, who's your money on in that fight, by the way, if you had any money on that fight, Jose Aldo versus Marlon Vera. Cause you know, name value you lean Jose Aldo, but I don't know. I like I like Cheeto in this fight. So do I, Simon. He's 28. He's in his prime. Jose Aldo can still hang with the best of them, but I feel like this is going to be that statement win that Marlon Cheeto Vera needs. A win over a former UFC champion, one of the legends of the game in Jose Aldo. And we, we've talked about fires being let go, Simon. I'm honestly not going to be surprised if it, to see any name go, honestly, to see Yoel Romero depart the UFC caught me by surprise, but then that's also desensitized me to the situation. If I see Jose Aldo take a take a loss this weekend, and a couple of weeks later, that you know the UFC like, yep, we're letting go of Jose Aldo, I would, would not be surprised. Um, so yeah, but yeah, if I'm putting some money on this fight, I'm just going to slightly lean towards Cheeto Vera. But the pressure is on Jose Aldo. The pressure is on for anyone who's 30 or above, especially if you're in your mid-30s and you've been in the UFC for a while, you're a former champion, you've got a hefty contract with a promotion. The pressure is on to continue to perform and win because if you don't, you could be getting your marching orders. Yeah, yeah. And maybe you could say the same for Anthony Showtime Pettis, weirdly. Um, he's he's been a little bit up and down form wise. When he's he can still do it, there's no doubt about it. He's still got it in him. But Alex Morono is one of one of my favourite fighters to watch in terms of he always brings it, and that's that's going to go one or two ways for Pettis. It's either gonna he's either going to be the absolute perfect opponent 
to get the best out of Anthony Pettis, or Morono is going to get the biggest win of his career. It's 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 one of those. And that's going to kick off that main card. Greg Hardy is back in action. He's growing and evolving as a heavyweight, and uh, he's got marching Tabura. He gets past Tabura. We've got to start talking about Greg Hardy as a serious problem at heavyweight. But the one I've got to, I've got to talk to you about, Sandu, Michelle Pereira, Chaos Williams. If you're on social media duty, get your clipping your clipping finger ready because there's something absolutely batshit crazy is going to happen in that fight, and it might be quite early in the fight as well. We might even see the first ever flying knockout where someone's actually in midair while they're while they're getting knocked out. Um, you know, I think the last time I saw that was when. Do you remember when Fedor knocks out Andrei Arlovsky in Affliction? And uh, it's one is it, for me, it's one of the most iconic knockouts I've ever seen in MMA because it was in a ring and Andrei Arlovsky was trying to box him and he was boxing him up. He was doing such a good job. But um, he backed, he sort of lulled him into a corner and then he went to do a Superman punch. And as he was in midair, Fedor just hit him with an overhand right and knocks him out in midair. Bang, game over. Incredible KO. I could see Chaos Williams doing that to Michelle Pereira on Saturday night. Um, but I could also see Michelle Pereira hitting Chaos Williams with some crazy ninja stuff off the fence and finishing him. So that's going to be insane. Yeah, it's probably the most unpredictable fight on the card. I, if I'm a betting man, I'm not putting my money either which way because you just don't know what you're going to get because styles make fights and both these guys have really unpredictable wild styles. styles. So yeah, that's going to be fun. Um, and I will be on uh, BT Sport Shift uh, duty and I will be having my clipping finger ready because I'm already aware that something crazy is going to happen in that one. That's going to be nuts. Marlon Marais has got a gut check fight against Rob Font. Rob Font has been there or thereabouts at Bantamweight for a while. He beats Marais. He's a contender. If Marlon Marais wants to stay stay one of the leading contenders at Bantamweight, he's got to put Rob Font away. Um, so that's a big fight for him. What else, what stands out to you? I mean, obviously, you know, those those top three fights on the card are big, but where do you think, as someone who, who's clipping for social, if you were giving, aside from those top three fights, where do you think your, your biggest wow moment's going to come from on that card, below those top three fights? It's got to be Anthony Pettis. You know, he, he still, on his day, can produce something out of this world spectacular. Just go back and watch the, the, the highlight reel knockout of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who's headlining this card, ironically. So, you know, he's getting up there in age. His brother's at Bellator. Who knows if Anthony Pettis is going to be the kind of guy that the UFC will stick around. Again, he's probably one of those guys that is, you know, on, on the higher side of the wage bill. Um, I'm not sure how many more fights he's got left on his contract, but it wouldn't surprise me if this is either his last fight on his contract or he's maybe like one fight away. And he'll probably be the kind of guy, you know what? I'm just going to go out, go out there and say it. I think Anthony Pettis is a Bellator, Bellator fighter in 2021. I'm just going to go out there and say it. Regardless of his uh, his run or if he wins this weekend, I just feel like there's something in the air about, I've got a gut feeling. I haven't spoken to anyone about this. I'm just going to throw out some you know speculation. But something tells me Anthony Pettis is going to be in Bellator in 2021. So you know, if you're just a, a UFC fan and not an MMA fan, this might be the last time or one of the last times you see Showtime in the UFC. Yeah. Opinion. And, uh, you know, will he go out with a with a big win potentially against Alex Morono? That would be a big one. Obviously, his brother is obviously uh, in Bellator now and uh, making some waves. 
um in 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 the bellator cage so um yeah anything else on that fight card you want to you want to quickly chuck out there before we go sandu because there's so much on that card we could we could talk for another 20 minutes but we probably shouldn't <laughs> um sajara eubanks i think she's been doing pretty well for herself um as of late you know she's obviously coming off the loss to caitlin Vieira, but uh, you know before that she had a couple of good wins uh back to back um so looking to see and she's she's one of those fighters that seems to be very vocal especially on social media. So I'm curious to see if she can get back in the win column and, and end 2020 right. Bilal Mohamed against Diego Lima. I mean, Jesus Christ. That's a great fight. I'm really looking forward to that one. That is the, the featured prelim. And let's see here. Eamon Zahabi, um, you know, TriStar trained. I'm surprised that, you know, I haven't really seen too many um, TriStar fighters compete. Um, for some reason, in a, in a while, so pretty pretty cool to see Eamon um, fighting this weekend, or maybe it's just something that I haven't really paid much attention to. But yeah, look, I think the card overall starts off a little slow in terms of name value, and then it just starts to build up like a crescendo. And then that like that main card, man, Jesus Christ, like every fight is a, is a banger, man. Like you said, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Final UFC event of twenty twenty. So. Uh... Make sure you get yourself in front of a TV uh, if you're listening out there. Get in front of a telly. Make sure you're watching this one. I'm sure that by the time we get back behind our microphones next week, we're going to be talking about some form of craziness that is going to ensue on Saturday night. When you've got a guy called Chaos fighting on the card, you know something mad's going to happen. So it's going to be it's going to be a big night. And uh, looking forward to uh, to running you guys through all of the uh, all of the best bits when we get back behind the microphone next week. Well, Simon, before we wrap up, we touched on it a little bit in the show, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't have a quick conversation about the big breaking news of the day, and that is Bellator signing Yoel Romero. They'd already signed Anthony Johnson, uh, I think a week ago. Yoel Romero now is going to be part of their light heavyweight division. Again, we touched on it. We didn't really have a, a full-on conversation. But right now, Simon, as things currently stand, Bellator's light heavyweight division includes Vadim Nemkov, Ryan Bader, Anthony Johnson, Corey Anderson, Phil Davis, Lyoto Machida, and Yoel Romero. And obviously the fight that everyone's been talking about that jumps right off the page are, are the two new signees. Yola Romero has to be fighting Anthony Johnson. That has to be headlining one of Bellator's marquee cards of 2021. Um, you talked about it a little bit earlier on, Simon, but the market seems to be changing a little bit. Um, there seems to be more players around that are willing to um, sign ex-UFC fighters. There's more options out there. The UFC are more willing to let some of their established names go. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're past it over the hill still can't cut the mustard they have their reasons for letting these guys go but it doesn't mean that they're still not worthy of our attention i mean for goodness sake if you can't be excited about anthony johnson versus yoel romero regardless of what the, what it says on the banner regardless of the prom promotion then check yourself man because that is a mouth-watering prospect of, of a banger on paper but yeah i mean it's been a fascinating couple of weeks in terms of Bellator making some big waves and signings. I think they're going to have a big 2021. Your initial reaction to Yoel Romero being signed and what 
could be around the corner for Bellator free agency signing and potential matchups outside of the UFC next year, Simon. Yeah, and my my, my initial reaction was yes, because <laughs> and, and and immediately followed by that Scott Coker is a wily old fox because it was only a few days ago that Scott Coker basically declared himself not that interested in signing Yoel Romero. So uh, don't go playing poker with Scott Coker. That's actually a rhyming thing, but yeah, don't, don't go gambling with Scott Coker because uh, it'll take your money and run off by the sound of it. He, he, uh, he was obviously very interested in UL Romero. They've obviously cut a deal that, that is, uh, you know, amenable to both parties. And here we go. The soldier of God is going to the Bellator cage. And that's what we all wanted. I think when we knew that, when we knew that Romero was leaving the UFC, we said there's one of two places he needs to go. He either needs to go to the PFL, uh, where he could potentially run through a tournament and become a million dollar champion or go to Bellator. Now I don't, I think based on what the PFL are doing in 2021, I'm not sure whether there's a full uh, tournament for his weight class in 2021. So um, Bellator really was the ideal spot. I don't, people talked about one championship. I, they aren't that strong at the higher weight classes, one championship. There's probably, you know, other than fighting, you know, the champion, uh, Ong La and Sung, there's not a lot of depth in the light heavyweight division at one championship. So Bellator really was the place to go. Um, so I'm delighted that he's in Bellator. The next thought was, let me see Romero versus Rumble. We need to see that fight. Everyone knows that we need to see that fight. Right now, it might not make sense to book them immediately because you're immediately giving one of them a loss. So it might make sense. Build the pair of them, get them both into championship contention, let one of them have a shot at the belt. And if they win, then do the fight because then that becomes the biggest way of having that fight. And, you know, given the way that Rumble Johnson puts people away and the crazy stuff that you, that you uh, are Romero is capable of. And think, think this, he's scary at 185 pounds. How much more powerful, how much more explosive is Joel Romero going to be without having to absolutely kill himself, making weight. We've all seen Yuel Romero almost get carried to the scale at points uh, over the course of his UFC career to try and make 185 pounds. Well, he doesn't have to do that now. He'll be quite small height-wise for the division. He wasn't the tallest middleweight, but what he will be is an absolute tank. And um, I cannot wait to see him inside the Bellator cage. He's a perfect signing, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, whether they, you know, whether it's Corey Anderson, uh, whether it's one of the existing. Bellator, light heavyweights, Phil, Phil Davis, um, Linton Vassell, if, if they want to bring him back down for, for from heavyweight. Oh, he's doing some business at heavyweight now, though. Um, Liam McGeary, you know, we, the, the, you know, there are options. Bellator's 205-pound division is arguably their strongest division. So, And they've just made it even stronger with uh, Rumble Johnson last week, Yuel Romero this week. Um, Bellator's going to be a lot of fun to follow next year, for sure. Yeah, I can't wait. And it's just, given what we've been through this year, UFC have obviously led the way in terms of events and still keeping the lights on as best as they can. But not just for the UFC, but I think across the business, across the fight game, I think everyone this year had to figure out how to survive and put on fights during COVID in a safe manner. I think they've all figured it out. And now they can start to perhaps trickle in a few fans here and there in markets and cities and locations that they can do that in. But that aside, the amount of mouth-watering prospect fights we have on paper, you know, kicking off with Max Holloway fight night 
in January, going into a Conor McGregor pay-per-view against Dustin Poirier. Let's see what Bellator come up with. The PFL are going to be back next year. Cage Warriors are putting on trilogies <laughs> every couple of months. It's, it's going to be a good year, I think. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing where both this show goes next year, what we do, what, how the, the, the sport evolves. And yeah, like you said, we've still got a banger of a, a fight night card coming up before 2020 is a wrap. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've probably got a rising New Year's Eve card to get through as well before the year is finally out. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Finish off the year and let's all cross our fingers that COVID gradually starts to become less of a factor in our lives, whether it be because of vaccinations or whether it just be because things are being better managed and it becomes less of a an intrusion into our day-to-day lives and maybe we can get ourselves back on the road again safely and start to cover some of this stuff live and in person that that for me is uh you know that's going to be that's going to be the you know the best day when i can actually get back on the road again i mean no rush don't want to do it until it's safe but i'm looking forward to the day that uh you know we can get back out there and do it on the road again it should be a lot of fun but uh yeah another packed show sandu it is absolutely and for those of those those of you who are listening that want to support us the best way of doing it first of all the Brit Pack MMA is how you can find us on Twitter. That is the show handle. We're on YouTube now. So if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple, but prefer to perhaps listen to an audio version only on YouTube, we are on YouTube. Go check us out. The links will be in both mine and Simon's uh, social media handles. And keep an eye out because we're on YouTube for the time being as an audio version only, but we've jump-started YouTube for a reason. It's a video platform, obviously. So 2021, watch out because there's exciting announcements with regards to where this show is headed. So yeah, do us a favor, and I haven't mentioned this before, but go to our YouTube channel. Subscribe now, get in early, and uh, you know we'll see what happens in 2021. Outside of that, though, the show is available, Spotify, Apple. For those of you that listen on Apple, Please rate and review us. That goes a long way in helping us on that particular platform. It's at Simon Head on Twitter and at Simon Head Sport if you want to follow Simon on social media. And I am at Sandu MMA on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So you can follow me there. Yeah, the YouTube thing excites me a lot. That's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, basically, it's just an archive of shows at this point. It's an archive of audio-only shows. Everything is in there from our very, very first episode. Some of our on-site specials are on there as well from years gone by. And uh, obviously, we've now got all of the new shows are on there as well. Um, But we haven't really kicked it into gear yet. Get on it now. Subscribe. Once my plastic surgery scars have healed and and things are better and, uh, you know, my face for radio has been fixed. Then, then maybe we might turn this into a video thing. Who knows? Who knows? Either that or I'll try and grow this facial hair a little bit more and uh, do something else. But no, all kidding aside, we've got some fun things planned for 2021. So uh, yeah, jump on that uh, on that YouTube channel. Like, hit the little bell if you want uh, notifications for the show and everything else Sandu said for the audio podcast. One more show to go, guys, before the end of 2020 for the UFC. Uh, Let's all enjoy that this coming weekend and uh, let's all meet back here next week and talk about it all. Enjoy the fights and we'll speak to you next week. 